It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Yeah, going to start hour number two this way instead of with our traditional Reagan Open because uh, I've got uh, very little time. Uh, we went a little bit long in that first hour, so I want to get Jack Windsor on the air. But before I do that, I just heard that Elder promo, and it reminded me of this. Larry tweeted something that I slightly modified and posted on my Facebook today as we talk about um, how many of these uh, uh, local health boards are and city councils are voting to declare racism to be a public health emergency racism in general so uh, larry tweeted something yesterday and i and i borrowed it and modified it slightly let's assume there's a vaccine against white racism and every white person in america was vaccinated with it would that change the fact that 70 percent of black kids are are not being raised in in a home with two parents that they're being raised in fatherless fatherless homes as they are now would that change if there was a white vaccine, a white racism vaccine, rather, would that mean that 50% of black students would not drop out of high schools as they are now? If all white people took that vaccine, would 25% of young black urban men not have criminal records in their, in their early 20s as they do now? Would that vaccine against white race, racism mean that black Americans would not kill 7,000 other black Americans every year as they do now? Please consider that before declaring that white racism is a public health emergency for black Americans. So again, Larry Elder tweeted that yesterday. Just to, he had to, he was limited by character count. I put it on Facebook so I could go as long as I wanted. Uh, but I think it's just a very very important way to look at this as we continue to deal with the racial strife that is consuming this country right now. Let's try to uh, let's try to bring some common sense and facts to the equation. All right. With that, uh, speaking of facts, this guy is loaded with them. He is America's reporter. He is Jack Windsor, WMFD Television in Mansfield. He is a fixture at the Columbus. Uh, uh, briefings, uh, the daily briefings on the coronavirus and the ongoing uh, nonsense being advanced and spouted by Mike DeWine as it pertains to restrictions in the state of Ohio. Jack, good to have you back on AM 1420 The Answer. How are you, my friend? Bob, good morning. I'm fantastic. Of course, it's an honor to be here with you and your WHK 1420 audience. Thank, thank you, Jack. I appreciate that. And um, there's three things here that I want to get into with you because you've been very, very busy. And again, I think everybody truly appreciates uh, your 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 celebrity on social media is well earned because you are bringing things that other people are not, including this real data on, as you point out, 44,828 square miles comprising Ohio and 11.7 million citizens. You have real data that is completely contrary to, in my view, and I think in most other people's, um, the ongoing orders by Amy Acton and the restrictions placed on businesses uh, and public spaces that we are still dealing with. Give us some of that data, Jack Windsor, that other people do not have, and quite frankly, that Amy Acton refuses to supply us with. Yeah, so I'll dump a bunch of data on you, and then we'll, we'll talk about whatever you'd like. About 80% of deaths, as we know, come from... Uh, nursing homes and the, the people there uh, that have succumbed to this virus have a median age of 81. Life expectancy in Ohio is 77 and a half. Uh, deaths reported, quote, reported yesterday were 17. Actual deaths were zero. Acute care beds, we have 27,000 of them in the state and 639 have patients in them, which is a 2.4% occupancy or looking at it the other way, 97.6% of beds are available. And the so in other words, we're really close to being overrun here. We definitely need to keep oh. these restrictions in place, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> as, as hospitals 
hemorrhage uh, money. And uh, frankly, if it weren't for the money that they received for positive COVID cases and putting patients on vents, um, they'd be in a world of hurt. Uh, and that's an entirely separate issue as it relates to reporting and, and uh, coding things. But, uh, you know, the, new, uh, the number of new admissions yesterday was zero. That's what's when you dig on the COVID site. Uh, positive test rate is 2%, meaning 98% of tests are negative. And the number of new cases are at their lowest level since March. The, the important thing there, uh, so 6-8 was actually the last time that they reported 90 new cases. And when you think about that, testing has significantly increased since March, but we only reported 90 new cases. And as I pointed out before, new cases are really hard to understand because a new case could be uh, a test that indicates somebody is COVID positive. It could be a suspected COVID case. It could be an antibody test that indicates the person has antibodies and so they had COVID at some point, so that could be counted. The other thing that could happen, uh, some folks that are positive have to get two negative tests before they go back into the workforce or back into life as normal. And let's say that I uh, am ready to come out of quarantine and I do another positive test, that's a positive. If I do it two days from now, it's another positive, it's positive. So one person could be you know, generating two or three positive cases. So that number is even a little bit ambiguous. But at the end of the day, here's what was frustrating about yesterday. Um, we got engaged in pontification whether the virus spreads asymptomatically, pre-symptomatically, uh, what the WHO said, and then, of course, we're beating the drum again on math. But this is the information that we have, and all data points are dropping like a rock, but we don't hear that. Uh, I don't know if you gave the R not, uh, which uh, is, has been a big one that you have tried. Did you, or did I miss you saying that? No, I did not get into the R not. Uh, the governor mentioned, yes, yeah, it, it, it was b- below one. Below one. This this just just a few weeks after being told it was around four or five. When this thing first started, they said it was two and a half to five, which, by the way, it was running unmitigated. Now we know, at least in December, because if it was January 2, the onset date, then, you know, when you look at um, how long it takes the, the, the virus to kick in. So December, January, February, into the end of March, two and a half to five, it's running unmitigated, right? Hospitals weren't overrun. Uh, there weren't, weren't mass deaths. So, but all of that aside, the, the R not, which is the contagiousness of this virus, is below one. But here's the other the other factor there: they're not segregating uh, congregate living settings from the general uh-huh. population. So it could be six in uh, a, a nursing home, which we know is the case in some of those places. But that might mean it's it's point zero zero three. I'm making that up, but you get the no. I got it. You're you're right. You're 100 percent right, though. When you when you factor in that factor, actually, when you separate those out and separate congregate settings from the general population, it's 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 practically zero. So let's 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 get to that that question. And you you posed this on online. What is the end game for Mike Dewine? He cannot look at these numbers. Looking at the uh, uh, hospitalizations, the deaths, the cases, the R not, and everything else, and say that we are still in a health emergency, he cannot. And yet, the orders stay in place. The lab coat gets to continue to control. Did you see the announcement of what uh, they're going to require the uh, theme parks to do now? You know, Cedar Point. You're going to have. I oh, mean, uh, as, yep. as an example, all of these things, Jack, are completely antithetical to the statistics that say yep. we should be fully open with no restrictions right now. Because literally, as you said, two percent of the uh, intensive care. 
beds are being occupied, 97.8% or whatever. And I, I mean, honestly, everything that they gave us as a reason to shut us down in the first place back in March is completely invalid at this point in time. And if they want to take credit for it, fine. I, I, I think that's BS. I think we know now that the, the, the spread on surfaces, according to uh, the WHO and the CDC, is next to nothing. The uh, idea of asymptomatic spread is next to nothing. And if they want to say, well, it's because of all of the great orders we had had in place, fine. I'll, I'll even stipulate, take all the credit you want as long as you you completely uh, revoke those orders right now and put Ohio back to full status without restrictions, including schools, right now. And they're not doing that. So your own question online, Jack, was what is the end game for Governor Mike DeWine? Do you have any suggested answers to your own question? Well, I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. House Bill 624 came out of the state and local government committee yesterday, and uh, there's a good chance that that legislation they pass, which will require, uh, and it's a shame that we have to pass legislation uh, to require the executive branch to report things uh, that need to be reported. Uh, so I'm hopeful there. You know, to me, when I look at it, we have um, a Department of Health director who, if you pay attention behind the scenes, seems to want more control over anything that could tangentially be related to health care. Um, you know, we have gun programs that they're talking about in inner-city Cleveland. Um, you know, we have the, the racism issue that, that they're trying to wrap their arms around and consider a, you know, a, uh, a health thing. So to me, it really, really, really looks like um, it, it's not even about COVID anymore. It's, it's really big government versus limited government. It's, it's globalism versus nationalism. That's what I see. I, there is no data to justify. First of all, when you go all the way back to the beginning of this, the data that they relied upon to even take the action that they took was as far as the East is from the West. That, that modeling was embarrassingly, embarrassingly wrong. And all of, you know, yesterday DeWine talked about the professionals and how they're relying on a team of professionals. The professionals have missed the mark every single time. In, the, in this case. So to me, I'm really struggling because I've said before, I want to give the administration credit. I was on another radio program. The gentleman who knows the governor personally says he's a good man and you know he wants to do the right thing. Yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intention. So regardless of what the intention is, the outcome is catastrophic. To When you look at the secondary impacts of this economically, people have, have far foregone health care and screenings, yeah. and, and they're suffering. The mental health issue, my daughter, I've said this before. Mental and physical health is suffering because of that. Jack, I apologize for the intrusion, but yeah. let me let me jump in here because i got music playing. i got to get a timeout. I want to come back and hit a couple of other issues, including the truth in COVID-19 statistics bill, Diane Grendel's bill uh, that we're talking about. And I also want to talk about the Lake County judge and testimony given in the Rock House Gym case because this is astounding, and you did great reporting on that as well. We'll continue with uh, Jack Windsor from WMFD-TV right after this. Okay, 1022 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer, talking with America's reporter, Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV in Mansfield. Jack, um, I want to pivot to the legality of these orders to shut down all businesses in the state of Ohio, and I'm going to quote from your online reporting in setting you up to expand upon this. Lake County Judge Eugene Lucy or Lucci heard testimony in the Rock House Jim case 
He uh, remembered that the preliminary injunction was issued on May 20th against Dr. Acton, uh, calling the rules to close the gyms involved in the lawsuit impermissibly arbitrary, unreasonable, and oppressive. And again, setting this up for with your reporting, the Ohio Department of Health sent one person to testify before Lucia, local health director, the local health director. During the hearing, there was a line of questioning around, is it safe? And I want you to pick it up from there and tell me what those questions and answers were and then take it in whatever direction you think our people need to hear. Absolutely. And I do want to preface it by saying I need to be extremely careful here because there was some muddling of uh, what happened when. So I'm going to I'm going to stay on the surface level with you and say that, um, as you mentioned, you, uh, Judge Eugene Lucci indicated um, that the orders essentially were unconstitutional, not only for the gym, but for all businesses. all Ohio businesses. Yes. And that was a, a preliminary injunction, which means that there's still going to be uh, a final hold or a final decision. And uh, that has not happened yet. Uh, I, I suspect that the attorneys are probably keeping it in preliminary stage because it cannot be contested. And it gives them a really strong uh, precedent to be able to stand. First of all, it enjoins uh, you know, that kind of um, uh, behavior from Dr. Acton to, to touch that business and other businesses in Lake County. But regarding the testimony, um, it, it was uh, secondhand uh, shared with me. So I want to be careful with that. But the under- as you explained it, my understanding is that uh, there was a person there from the health department, and the question essentially was, um, we, you know, we rolled out of lockout on this date. Was it safe? Yes. Okay, well, was it safe the, the day before? No. Why not? Because the governor said so. Uh, so, it, you know, the whole point in that was... Um, let's let's not understate was- that, Jack. Let's not understate that. I mean, that, that's, that's astounding. The public health official said it was safe to come out of the lockout on 619, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, 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 was safe to come out of the lockout and was not on 618 because the governor said so. That, that, that's, or is that a typo, by the way? We're saying 19 and 18, uh, because we're on it, June. It, I believe it'd be 5, 518 or 519. 5, yeah, that's the typo. Yeah. Correct. Thank you. I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, those dates aren't here yet. Because I was focused more on the answers than I was the dates. But the point is, on day one, you know, on the 19th of May, it was safe. And on the uh, day before that, it was not safe. Why? Because the governor said so. That can't be understated. That's extraordinary for a public health official to say, whatever the governor says is what we are going to make the science say as public health officials. That's insane. Go ahead. Well, it's again, and I want to qualify it. That's secondhand. And, uh, and that was an example. So the example was, hey, this is how it rolled out. That was stunning to me. And the reason that it's stunning to me is, look, I've said this before. If they come out and say, hey, you know, we got new information and, and we're going to change course. Great coaches do that. There have been teams they get their butts whooped in the first quarter, second quarter, and then they you know, make halftime adjustments. They come out and they win the game in the second half. And so, you know, that's the frustrating thing to me is if, if we're relying upon the governor to make these decisions, um, you know, we just ran through at the top of this all of the data that's not getting reported that paints an entirely different reality and emotional picture. Uh, but then there's also stuff regarding asymptomatic spread, pre-symptomatic spread, our kids' carriers. We hear the what they want us to hear on those points. What we don't hear is that it may be much less scary than we ever imagined. So to me, if the governor is being put in that position where what he says is taken as the gospel, then it really requires of him to say, you know, um, asymptomatic spread may be a problem, 
but there's this other report over here that says it may not be a problem, and we're not really convinced. And so we're still going to, you know, and it doesn't come out that way. What, what comes out is, look, if you leave your home, especially without your mask, you're going to kill grandma. And again, I said earlier, I don't want to have to explain to my seven-year-old daughter that she can't go see her grandpa without her feeling guilt and shame, thinking, am I going to kill my grandpa because I want to go visit him? That is just totally out of bounds, the way that this stuff is reported. Uh, that is that is extraordinary, uh, Jack, and, and, and very important. And I want to pivot now. The last thing to talk about with you um, is the lawsuit. Gerald Phillips was a candidate for Lorraine County Commissioner uh, during the primary election, which was supposed to be held on St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. And, of course, the election was postponed despite uh, a court order that said uh, they don't have the right to do that. But they did it anyway, did Amy Acton and Mike uh, DeWine under the guise of the public health emergency. And the lawsuit has been filed now by, by Gerald Phillips. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, he points out the election was postponed at 1036 the night before the polls were to open. And you can remember, I can remember, it was chaos. Some people showed up the next morning, some didn't, and they were really unclear. In his filing, he uh, lists 90 combined Ohio Revised Code section violations and Ohio Constitution violations. Wow. He talks about latches, which is really it puts an extreme due diligence and extreme promptness requirement on the Board of Elections and on the Secretary of State, and he lists reasons why that was violated. He talks about the secrecy of quarantine and how Amy Acton failed to honor public records requests regarding data, modeling, and statistics. He talks about the deceptive and misleading information about data, which is kind of what we just talked about, and how it, uh, 419 deaths for non-highly susceptible Ohioans among 11.7 million equates to um, and, and there's no justification to destroy the economy. Uh, and then he goes on to, to cite Ohio Revised Code Section 3599 uh, in saying that violations are uh, misconduct of board officials, failure of officials to enforce the law, among other things, and they range from a misdemeanor to a felony. And his claim is that if this has teeth, that it could it could warrant impeachment hearings and it could warrant removal of office for, for the governor and, and, and Amy Acton. Now, that is obviously a, you know, a pretty bold claim. The other thing I'll point out, though, uh, because of the nature of the suit, he's, he's contesting an election, if he doesn't get a favorable decision, his appeal would go directly to the Ohio Supreme Court, and he's already indicated that if he does not get a favorable decision, he will take it to the Supreme Court. And with everything in that filing that I've read, there's going to be a lot for the Supreme Court to consider and decide upon. Well, you know, that's a great point. And uh, there are a lot of other lawsuits that have been filed right now. And uh, Mike DeWine and Amy Acton in particular, the restaurants filed a lawsuit, this uh, massive uh, group of, of restaurants for what has been done to them. The amusement parks filed the lawsuit. And we talked about it very briefly about Cedar Point opening under extraordinary restrictions that are essentially going to keep the park empty because nobody is going to want to go uh, to a theme park where you have to wear a mask everywhere you go in the middle of the hot sun or in the, in, excuse me, in the middle of the day in the hot sun. You're supposed to be walking around eating ice cream uh, and 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 fries on the midway and you can't do that uh, they're going to make people stand in a big line on a hot sunny day to get their temperatures taken just to get into the park for goodness sakes uh, how valid and accurate is that forehead temperature going to read when you're standing in the hot sun all day uh, there's so much insanity to that and if, if they say no your temperature's too high 
Um, do you get to go back and get your 20 bucks? They just jacked you for parking and get that back as you leave. I mean, it's insane. And all of these businesses and all of the companies like Cedar Fair, they're all going to uh, suffer, uh, you know, exponential damage when it comes to revenues and trying to generate some positive cash flow, all because of the what I believe to be unlawful and unconstitutional actions of the governor, and I think that the uh, the chickens, the proverbial chickens, are coming home to roost. And I hope that the courts are all sympathetic to what is going on in the uh, business community right now, and they and they they take the appropriate action against these state officials, which to me are just. Um, they're beyond the pale in what they've done. All right, sorry, I monologued a little bit there, Jack uh, Windsor. I apologize, but I really appreciate your great reporting. You do. You give us all new ways to look at these things when you report the way that you do uh, uh, in every f- uh, forum that you do it, whether you're doing videos or posting online. Keep up the wonderful work at WMFT-TV, Jack Windsor. We appreciate you very much. Bob, I appreciate you and your listeners. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. That's Jack Windsor, WMFT-TV in Mansfield. If you don't follow him on social media, can I just tell you, you're missing the best coverage of what's going on in this state. Follow him on Facebook at Jack Windsor, just like you would think it's spelled, and follow him on Twitter with the same name. We'll be back after the news. Ten thirty-eight. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Twenty-two minutes of outstanding, awesome left for you on this broadcast. Don't forget, Mike Gallagher comes your way at eleven o'clock. You're going to want to stick around after that. I know for uh, Doctor, or excuse me, uh, Dennis Prager, then Doctor Sebastian Gorka, Jay Seculo Live, and Larry Elder. By the way, I want to hit that again. I only was able to talk about it briefly before Jack Windsor came on. And oh, by the way, since I brought him up again, Jack Windsor, I just texted him this message during the break. He is a true asset to the people of this state. He really is. And I'm not saying there aren't any other good reporters in the state, but nobody is reporting the way he's reporting. Nobody is challenging. Nobody is doing the legwork, getting the numbers, specifically uh, looking up things that Amy Acton won't tell us so that they can ask questions or so that uh, he, because nobody else is willing to do it, ask questions about why things are being done the way they are, given the new data that, uh, that they won't. Uh, and that's why Diane Grindel. That's why Diane, Diane Grendel had to craft a bill which passed the Ohio House uh, demanding truth in COVID-19 statistics from the lab coat because we're not getting the truth. We're not getting all of the facts. We're only getting the ones that they think help their case to keep this state on lockdown and to keep them with the extraordinary power that they are uh, continue, excuse me, continuing to wield uh, during this uh, quote-unquote health emergency. So uh, State Representative Grendel, primary sponsor of the Truth in COVID-19 Statistics Bill, got it passed through the House, and it's because of uh, work from people like Jack Windsor. And he's doing the legwork to get that, those stats, reporting them, questioning uh, our leaders at these briefings on them, and exposing them for the, uh, quite frankly, the, uh, I don't know if nefarious is too strong of a word, but you know, for the questionable decisions that they are making and whatever their end game is. We don't know what the end game is. So great work by Jack Windsor. Now, having said that, I want to hit just real quick again what Larry Elder uh, said on Twitter last night that I took and modified and just expanded. I had a little bit more characters to work with on uh, Facebook than he did on Twitter. Um, let's assume that there is a vaccine that exists against white racism, and every white person in America has been vaccinated with it. Would that change 
the experience of African Americans in this country. Meaning, right now, 70% of black children grow are growing up in fatherless households. Larry knows what that's all about, talks about it all the time. And children growing up of, of any race without a father are five times more likely to uh, be incarcerated. That's five times, not twice, it's not five percent. It's not twice as many, not three times, it's five times as many are likely to be incarcerated, nine times more likely to drop out of school. Would white vaccines against racism change that in the black community? That's Larry's question. He then asked, would a white vac- or a vaccine against white racism stop 50% of black students from dropping out of high schools, as they are now? I think the answer is probably no, because why are so many of them dropping out of high school? It's because of part number one. There's not two parents raising and disciplining and impressing upon these children the importance of staying in school, getting their education, so that they can further themselves into a career or a profession that allows them to be extraordinarily successful in the United States of America. That's what two-parent households do. Larry's third point was, if there was a vaccine for white racism and all white people had it, would that stop 25% of young black urban men from um, committing acts that have them uh, uh, that give them criminal records by the time they're in their early 20s, as they do now? And the fourth point that Larry made, would a vaccination against white racism stop black Americans from killing other black Americans? 7,000 a year, as they're doing right now. How does white racism force a black person in Chicago to kill another black person in Chicago, 18 of which happened on one day last Monday? 18 murders on a single day, in a single day. There are about three dozen shootings in an average weekend in Chicago, and the extraordinary majority of them, over 80% of them, are black victims with black shooters. Would a a vaccine against white white, white racism change that in the inner cities of, for example... Um, Baltimore, uh, St. Louis, Oakland, Cleveland, New York, Los Angeles, and yes, Chicago. So before declaring that white racism is the public health emergency that black Americans have to deal with, I think those questions asked by an African-American. Now, I know this African-American doesn't get credit for being an African-American because, of course, if he's critical of the narrative, the dis- the, the divisive narrative that's going on in this country, then he becomes an Uncle Tom. That's why Larry Elder has a movie coming out in nine days, June 19th. You can watch it at UncleTomMovie.com, I believe is what it is. I'll verify that. Check that out for me, uh, if you would, Marcy. I believe it's UncleTomMovie.com because, you know, that's if you're an African-American and you espouse these things, that's what you are called. Thomas Sowell knows it. Walter Williams knows it. Larry Elder knows it. Uh, ben Carson knows it. Uh, and we can go on down the line. I mean, anybody who is not, you know, just a black fist power, a black black power fist rather in the air and chanting Black Lives Matter is is and, and blaming the white uh, race on everything is that's just uh, that's just the way that it is. That's why he's put the movie together. UncleTom.com, not Uncle Tom Movie. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's UncleTom.com. So you're going to want to watch that, and you're going to want to check that out. In fact, let me give you the latest example before I go to any calls. Um, let me give you the latest example of somebody who's about to feel that pain, 
who's about to feel the sting of being called an Uncle Tom or a Coon or any of these other terrible names that essentially accuse them of being race traitors. You know who um, Shelby Steele is, right? Shelby Steele did an interview with uh, Mark Levin uh, over the weekend that was remarkable. Uh, And he issued and delivered a remarkable soliloquy. Great wording there by PJ Media, and I agree with it after I listened to it on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin over the weekend. In which Shelby Steele, a best-selling author and a um, African-American civil rights movement leader of the 1960s, he appeared on this show and he fully rejected the concept of systemic racism in America. He held court for the first eight minutes of the program, and Mark Levin just sat there and let him drop truth bomb after truth bomb. And Shelby Steele, again, an African-American leader of the civil rights movement in the 1960s, said that, flat out, black people have never faced less oppression than they do right now in America. And that they need to take responsibility for their position at the bottom of most socioeconomic measures. It's an astounding statement by, again, a man who was there at the forefront of the civil rights movement when he knew that there was a time, obviously, when black Americans were facing oppression and were facing discrimination. And this African American now is saying, that's not modern America, that's not post-Civil Rights uh, pa- uh, Act passage, that Amer- blacks in America have never faced less oppression. For, so for them to be smashing and looting and burning and screaming and, and demanding that uh, 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 white people prostrate themselves in, in subservience and apologies for things that were done in the past, all of that is BS and it's not necessary because black people have never had it better than they do in this country right now. Listen to a little bit of Shelby Steele with Mark Levin. Well, that's a good question. One of the questions since the beginning of all this has been, what do they want? What's, what is the point of all this? I remember when I was growing up in the civil rights movement and so forth, everybody knew exactly what we wanted. Uh, uh, often a piece of legislation, a civil rights bill, or, or some, something else that was specific and concrete. Uh, this insurrection seems just sort of, uh, um, well, unclear. It's unmotivated by anything that it it says itself. And uh, so what is it really about? Um, It seems to me is the question. And and that I, I, I think that what is really happening is that is nothing really new. They, uh, the civil rights Argument that that uh, triggered this that there was police abuse and and uh, so forth very familiar story saw that in Ferguson Missouri and uh, and elsewhere uh, and it it seems to me that in many ways it's about power and um, in order to have to pursue power as uh, uh, as as they do uh, you have to have victims and. Um, my God, uh, George Floyd is the archetypal uh, victim, um, and the whole incident of his murder is sort of a metaphor for uh, the civil rights uh, agenda and the grievance uh, industry agenda. Here's somebody, an utter, complete, innocent, um, tortured, 
to death. Uh, well, wow, the excitement that that triggers on the left in America is it validates their claims that America is a wretched country, that they they must uh, get uh, recourse for what for what goes on and so forth. So it 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 feeds this old model of operation that we've developed that America is guilty of racism, guilty of this sin, and has been for four centuries, and minorities are, are victims who are entitled. And so when people start to talk about systemic racism built into the system, uh, what they're really doing is expanding the territory of entitlement. We want more. We want more. We want the society to give us more, to help us and, and, and so forth. So, uh, society is responsible for us. Uh, and and because, because racism is so systemic. Well, that's a corruption. And I know it's a corruption because the truth of the matter is blacks have never been less oppressed than they are today. Opportunity is around every corner. Um, and uh, in, in all of this, no one ever stops to say, well, you're unhappy about where minorities are at in American life, and blacks continue to be at the bottom of most socioeconomic measures. You're unhappy about that. Uh, well, why don't you take some responsibility for it? Why don't you take more responsibility? I would be happy to, continue to, to look at all the usual bad guys, the police and so forth, if we had the nerve, the courage, to look at black people, to look at black Americans, minority Americans, and say, you're not carrying your own weight. You're, you are, you're going to go have a fit and a tantrum and demonstrate and so forth, uh, and yet you're not, you're not doing, are you teaching your child to read? Are you making sure that the school down the street actually educates your child? Uh, are, you, uh, are, are you becoming educated and following a dream in life and making things happen for yourself? Or are you saying, I'm a victim and uh, I'm owed and the entitlement is, uh, is inadequate? Shelby Steele is the author of a book called White Guilt. Shelby Steele is, a again, a veteran of the civil rights era. Shelby Steele is a brilliant orator, and Shelby Steele is an African-American who will now be accused of being a race traitor by Black Lives Matter. We'll be right back. Through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. 1056. A couple of thoughts from some other folks besides me before we wrap it up here. Vermilion, Richard, you're on AM 1420 The Answer. Hi, Richard. Go ahead. Hello, Bob. And thank you so much for your show. You you were saying how Jack Windsor is such an asset, which he is, and you are to provide all this information. And I have a quote uh, from a book called 
The March of Folly. Barbara Tuckman is the author, and she actually, in it, it's, a, it's about history. I think the subtitle is From Troy to Vietnam. But uh, she writes and quotes an English historian, and this is the quote, Nothing is more unfair than to judge men of the past by the ideas of the present. That, that to me, says it all. You know, uh, and I did catch Shelby Steele and mm-hmm. uh, Bob Woodson was on, Mark Levin, Sunday right. night. Right. But it's, this is the cancel culture. You know, the people are trying to tell us that, you know, we should hate ourselves for slavery, which was an awful thing. But we're, we're, by doing so, they're judging us today by what those people did back then. That is exactly how right. Wrong. Yeah. That is exactly right. And there's nothing that could be more wrong. I agree with your statement. Thank you for the call, Richard. I agree wholeheartedly. There's nothing more inherently unfair than judging people of the present for the actions or the attitudes of people of the past. It's why I put on my social media yesterday, again, in my shame of having these accounts, <clears throat> I try to use them. And I tweeted very simply, and I Facebook posted this statement. If you have committed no crime, you have no forgiveness to seek. Get off your knees. Very few things make me as upset as watching people on their knees begging forgiveness for 400 years of something they had nothing to do with. Moreover, begging forgiveness of people who did not suffer those injustices of yesteryear. Because as Shelby Steele said, African Americans today have never been less oppressed in this country than they have ever been. This is the most perfect time of opportunity, and yet they are turning it as a, a turning it into the perfect time to, uh, again, expand and play the victimization card. And it's not helpful to anybody. It just divides the races. Get off your knees. If you've committed no crime, you have no forgiveness to seek. Last call is going to be from Bob in Medina. Hi, Bob. Go ahead, sir, real quick. Yeah, hey, Bob. Uh, I'll make this real fast. Uh, In regards to Gone with the Wind and, you know, they're talking about dumping that movie. Yeah. What would be? I mean, you know, nothing was much said about Blazing Saddles, which I think is, like, really funny, you know. And uh, But yet, you know, that movie continues to, you know, to play on. Okay. So Yeah, well, you know, I'll throw another one. I'll throw another one out there, my friend, and thanks for the call. I'll throw out there um um oh for crying out loud. Uh Oh, I'm blanking as the show ends for crying out loud. How they portray the hillbillies in the Burt Reynolds and John Voight in uh, Deliverance for crying out loud. Look at how they portray white people in that movie. That's all the time we have. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow.